Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, we're going to look at notable picks in ESPN's Todd McShay's latest 2021 NFL mock draft. Some wild picks in that one, and also going to do our mailbag episode every Thursday, Friday. We are going to do a mailbag episode, answer your questions, whether you ask them on Twitter in the YouTube comments or on the podcast comments on Apple, wherever you find your podcast, we will answer your questions on this episode. Let's get it. studio for the third time this week mike we're doing three episodes a week now we have a thursday episode a wednesday episode and a monday episode on the wednesday episode or no sorry the thursday episode we do a mailbag but before we get into the mailbag we got to talk about todd mcshay's latest mock draft i think it came out yes. like 30 minutes ago shout out to david Solfaro, who works on the side with us as you know doing timestamps and preparing us for this podcast he noted it like hey he's got some wild picks in here let's start we're not going to read off boy every Todd. single pick. Our boy, Todd McShay. Our boy, Todd McShay. You've had the story with Todd McShay. You saw him playing beer pong at a bar or something like that. Oh, yeah. You weren't there. I wasn't this there. At I had to leave early. I yeah. was on the I outside. I introduced myself, and he was, he, was, he was nice. It was at the Senior Bowl last year. Yeah. And you called him out saying, why do you have Josh Jones so yeah, well? I was just like, hey, what do you think about Josh Jones? And he's like, are we really going to do this right now? It's oh, like, man. Yeah, no, that's right. Oh, man. Don't be rude to Todd McShay. I wasn't rude. I just Don't be rude to Todd McShay. Regardless, let's look at this draft. We're not going to read off every single pick, but some of the notables after Trevor Lawrence goes one, because Panay Sewell going to the New York Jets to two, and the new coaching staff and them building around Sam Darnold. This yeah. is something that we've been avidly against. Is I, I, I can't, uh, and, and I'm not knocking Todd McShay for ranking Sewell that high, but I, I think it's wild to think that there is a conversation right now in the New York Jets front office for Joe Douglas to build around Sam Darnold and not take a quarterback here. Yeah, I, I think Josh Allen and his career arc is going to screw a lot of teams Man. because everyone's going to say, right. look at Josh Allen, look at what happened with him, turned into an MVP, he has all these tools, just need to get the, the pieces around him. There's the tri- Mitch Trubisky's of the world. The you know the failed those guys are far more frequent than the Josh Allen's. The Josh Allen's the outlier. And the biggest thing here with me about passing on a quarterback if you're the Jets, say Sam Darnold lights the world on fire. Say he's great this upcoming season. Everything you could have hoped for. You pay him then forty million dollars a year the next year. You're paying for it immediately. You have like that. Well, they could do the fifth year option benefit. But the fifth-year option now is uh, a lot after the new in the new CBA, especially at the quarterback position. is is basically it puts your salary in line with. The oh rest wow, of the really? Game. I didn't yeah. know. So that. especially for the number, what was he the number two overall pick? That year? no, he's number three overall pick. Quan Barkley's number two. Sorry, but <laughs> so there really doesn't save you any money. The benefit of that drafting a quarterback highly, getting hitting on that, and having them on the rookie deal, like the Bills have now with Josh Allen, is all of a sudden gone you turn into the Texans then in terms of what you can do with your cap space. So that just, to me, would be idiotic to go anywhere other than quarterback, especially in this class. I, I, I like to think about this situation in, um, in like ideal situation. So if they take Panay Sewell and he is Tristan Wirth's level of impact, like the best offensive tackle, yeah. rookie offensive tackle in the NFL, top five at his position regardless of experience, and Sam Darnold takes a Josh Allen-like leap, how many wins does the Jets have next year? Eight? 
yeah, eight, nine, something like that. And that's the worst situation still, you could be in. And, and, and now you're in purgatory, having to potentially pay Sam Darnold $40 million a year. And yes, you have Panay Sewell, who's in this situation, ideally, Tristan Worf's level of impact. And Sam Darnold has improved. But now you're going to have to make that decision to pay him a ton of money in this purgatory situation where you're not going to be able to make an upgrade at the quarterback position like you can now. Mm. I just don't see why this would be in the cards. Like your perfect situation, your ideal situation is finishing second in the AFC East, potentially making a seventh spot wild card or missing the playoffs and then missing out on next year's quarterback class. Also, we haven't brought this up enough. Next year's quarterback class is not as good as this one, at least right now. You know, after Spencer Rattler, talent. I mean, I'm just saying there is there is talent. You, I don't you don't like to speak too far out about a quarterback because you never know. And I don't think that should factor into your decision making one way or the other because of the uncertainty that can happen over the course of a year. But I will say this like this quarterback class is different. This doesn't come around every year. Yes. Like that has to be recognized that a guy like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields aren't just there every single year with a number two overall pick. It's an interesting situation. I, I hope the Jets don't go that way. For Jets fans, I think they'd be better off taking a rookie quarterback. But if you have a high opinion of Sam Darnold, if you really think he's going to be that good and just needs pieces around him, you trade him. You trade him for like someone else will share that opinion and want yeah. and, and t- tr- want to take a chance on him. Or at the least trade back because taking Panay Sula yeah, too is exactly, just absolutely yeah. absurd. All right. Devontae Smith is the next pick in Todd McShay's mock at three overall. First receiver off the board. And... I said this on the Wednesday episode. You can't be overconfident in your valuation. Devontae Smith may be the most productive receiver in this class, better than Jamar Chase in the future. But I would say that at three overall, when Calvin Johnson went two overall after Jamarcus Russell in, what, 2007? Mm -hmm. Three overall, Devontae Smith is, is, I feel like, a scary decision to make because it wouldn't be a completely data-driven decision using athleticism and body comps and looking at historical success by receivers at his size. In addition to that, you could evaluate him and his route running and how he gets off the line of scrimmage, all that stuff, ball skills, and say, man, he is the best receiver in this class. But to take him at three with other quarterbacks on the board, I still feel like it's too rich in my opinion. Yeah. I, And it eschews the whole concept. I, I guess in this mock, Penny Sewell goes too. But to me, it eschews the concept of positional scarcity where you, you have another pick in the first round here, the Miami Dolphins, at 18 overall. There's going to be a damn good wide receiver at 18 overall. There's going to be a guy who could be a number one wide receiver on your team at 18. Arguably overall. one who could be more productive than Devontae Smith or, because like, of the 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 you know up and down of you know, yes where. exactly like depending on the situation he goes to. Like the the difference between Devontae Smith and the guy you can find at 18 overall is going to be vastly different than other positions in this draft class. All right, uh, further down the road, he has Zach Wilson going to the Atlanta Falcons and then Rashawn Slater going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Penesu all over off the board. They have to address offensive line. And I think we haven't talked about this enough, but is the gap between Sewell and the next best offensive tackle, whether it's Slater, Cosme, Derisaw, is it is it two picks? Is it something where the Bengals should consider at five? I, uh, from our draft board's perspective, no. But do you feel like it, it's starting to make more sense for the Bengals to do that and force need here with already the blue chip offensive tackle off the board in Panay Sewell? It's a very deep offensive tackle class. I would say, uh, granted, everyone like declares and it ends up going. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talent in this tackle class. And I think the Bengals could even find one in the top of the second round. Not obviously uh, something you recommend every single year to wait on the tackle class, but I do think that's how much talent there is. This is a very solid tackle class. I, I just think I, I do like Rashawn Slater a lot. I've come around on him wholesale. I, I do think he is a first round type of talent. 
but number five, I don't know. Like, I, I think if you're at number five, exploring trade backs there, if that's who you're going to take, is probably a better uh, course of action, in my opinion. And I do, it does seem like they're probably, they, it's the Bengals. It does seem like they're probably going to pigeonhole themselves into an offensive line. Yeah. And honestly, you have to take a step back, too. And, and this is more of what Todd McShay is forecasting. You know, he, yeah. he does mock drafts in the opinion of what I think they will do. Yeah. And we do mock drafts where what we would do, and that's how they usually come out vastly oh, yeah, different. This so like, he's time yeah, he's thinking about like what Mike Brown will do, and I think he's not wrong there. Mike Brown will, will definitely consider an offensive tackle, but I want you to yeah. I want to bring up some of those names that you you know you t- say it's a deep tackle class, guys that could fall to day two for the Cincinnati Bengals at the top there. Alex Leatherwood is one. Liam Eichenberg yep. of Notre Dame. You have Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State. The big guy out of Minnesota, Daniel Falele. I don't um, know if he declares because obviously he didn't play a lot this year. Uh, the Washington State offensive tackle. Abraham Lucas. Abraham Lucas might declare as well. Larry Borum, too. The, the, the Missouri guy graded really, really well this year. Yeah, he's probably like a third rounder that could end up being a starter on a team. Like I do think this year... I I was actually going through the numbers in the draft guide of offensive tackles that I included in our first iteration, which is only going to be, I believe, 150 players. And I was like, holy holy shit, I got 20 offensive tackles. Like, that that usually doesn't happen. You you don't have that many guys that you feel. Like, I was just going through and, and like, putting names in there, the guys I felt were worthy to be included in the first 150. 20 offensive tackles. I think that's how good this tackle class and how deep it is. That's It doesn't have the top-tier talent like last year, but the depth is a lot better than uh, years past for sure. He then has Sean Wade falling to, or not falling to, going to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers at 13. Would not be falling. Would not be falling. Sean Wade at 13 is rich. And I think former five-star recruit, and he played at Ohio State. That is a lot of what is driving Sean Wade's perception. I don't know if you read that piece by The Athletic. I think it was Bruce Feldman who wrote it. Um, but it was about he talked to a ton of Big Ten coaches about Ohio State and that defense, and multiple people, multiple Big Ten coaches, not not named, brought up brought up Sean Wade as a liability. He's no he's no Jeffrey Okuda. That guy has really struggled this year. He needs more time. He could be a star, but he needs time. Like Sean Wade has been a legitimate liability for Ohio State this season, playing outside. And even in the slot, he wasn't a world beater by any means. He had some good tape, but I didn't see him as a first round slot player either. To have him at thirteen overall feels that feels aggressive that feels aggressive to me i think yeah. what that says and i think what a lot of this says is tom mcshay knows the nfl is higher on some of these guys like mm-hmm. slater like wade another guy we'll bring up down the road here but i do think sean wade taking him that high inside the top 15 after what we've seen from him this year would be really really scary and i think a reach in my opinion yeah in seven games he gave up over 100 yards three times this year sean wade and he's got another one coming six touchdowns already <laughs> and yeah he probably i mean I, it would be hard pressed to see him locking down after he couldn't handle Cornell Powell for Clemson. Cornell Powell looks kind of good. This is good, but probably he's going to the Senior Bowl. I'm kind of excited for Cornell Powell, but it's not Devontae Smith. I'll just say that. So I do think Sean Wade at 13, I am curious to see how this tackle, or excuse me, cornerback class shakes out in terms of like public opinion, where guys fall, because there's, there's a lot of bigger, longer cornerbacks in this class, but no real, prototype guys i'll say like no guys who have it all i think caleb farley is probably the closest in terms of size speed length all that but there's a lot of different body types which then means like it'll be scheme specific and what certain schemes are looking for but i don't think there's a scheme where sean wade uh is an ideal fit at this point on the outside at least to me it's safety yeah i mean yeah a box slot i agree um looking this next pick is wild oh oh, before we leave the sean wade conversation did you see that a reporter asked him who he wants to cover this week and he says you know who 
and Devontae Smith. Does he want that smoke? Jalen Waddle is who he wants to cover. That's you think? Who I hope. Well, I hope. Is, I don't care I who he, I, I think it could be John Mechie, okay, and he's going to have some struggles there. The Alabama receiving court is different. Yeah. I saw, I think, Nate Tice, who I encourage everyone to follow on Twitter. Nate Tice is a fantastic follow. I don't have his handle on hand, but just Twitter search Nate Tice. Like Nate underscore Tice. It might be Nate underscore Tice, but he brings he brought up something Mike recently son. looking at um, their offense, and a lot of people have talked about Alabama's offense of late and just showing, like, because their receivers are so damn good, so fast, and can create separation so quickly, they can run things that other offenses can't run, like yeah. that um, cross-country concept where you have a receiver going a long ways, and they're only running five-man protections because they have good front offline, but also their receivers are getting to their their points faster. This is a different mm-hmm. breed here. Also, the RPO-heavy stuff that Seth has brought up a ton is just wild. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared of that Alabama offense. There, I saw Benjamin Solak, too, also tweet out that they're an entire .1 EPA, entire .1 EPA per play better than mm-hmm. every college football offense. And that sounds like kind of too nerdy to really understand. Let's just say this. Their offense is absolutely absurd and one of the best offenses in a single season I think we've ever seen in college football. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I'm not sure you're ever going to be able to quantify in the – how valuable is an offensive line versus wide receivers, pass rush versus coverage, is that when you know that you have receivers that run four threes and an offensive line that's going to give you time, you can draw up concepts like that. When you're a defense and you know that your five-man blitz is going to get home, your cornerbacks can jump on routes yeah. more with more confidence. Like Those are things that people know about football, but you can't, quantify the confidence it gives a cornerback jump around you can't necessarily like that's just something that's never really going to be show up in any numbers unfortunately he also has the this next pick we'll bring up an absolute dream scenario for the new england patriots and that justin fields of ohio state yeah falls to them at 15 i wonder if this is one of those i'm not going to project any trades because that's stupid at this point it kind of is but I'm still going to give the guy to where I think will he'll end up going in the Patriots being like the Patriots going to give up a lot of picks to go get Fields, but Fields falling to 15 would be insane to me. Dwayne Haskins fell to 15, and everyone's like, "Oh man, didn't really see that coming." Kind of a surprise, even though like everyone was kind of no one was super high on Dwayne Haskins. No one's like this guy is number one except for maybe Lewis Riddick in that year. But uh, I do think that like Justin Fields every single person comparing him to Dwayne Haskins coming out is going to choose Justin Fields every day. Like that type of talent doesn't fall to 15 in the draft. I would be floored if Justin Fields falls outside the top five, let alone all the way to 15 for the New England Patriots. Again, a dream scenario for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots if yeah. that does happen. The next pick is Travis Etienne going to the Arizona Cardinals. And you've been high on Travis Etienne for more than eight, 18 months now. And still I have him, what, 40th or 45th on our board, somewhere in that range. Yeah. It's there just, are going to be running backs that go in the first round. I think Todd McShay brought it up that he Najee Harris has shown that he's a first-round pick this year, in addition to Travis Etienne. Do you think both of these guys end up going in the first round? Man, I, I, I don't even want to try to predict where running backs are going anymore. It's just it's not our specialty here. No, but I agree. I, I will say Etienne, of all the backs in this class, I think he brings something different that you won't find elsewhere in that game-breaking explosiveness, home run hitting ability that I don't think any other back in this class can replicate now that 
you know, Journey Brown was forced to retire. I think he was probably the closest, the Penn State running back, but had the, obviously the heart issue or whatever, forced to retire. After that, I don't think if, if you need that guy in your offense, I don't think you're going to find that elsewhere. Najee Harris, you can find a guy who has similar sort of skill sets to Najee Harris. Like Javante Williams has similar skill sets to Najee Harris. If you're looking for a power back to run between the tackles, like there are guys that have that, that, you know, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma is like an enormous, like 240 pounds and is pretty explosive. Like you can find that elsewhere in the draft. ETN, if someone does draft in the first round and has a plan to use them in a role that's going to take advantage of that, I can, I'm not going to hate on it. There's no other back I can really see the same argument for. And I think that's fair. I mean, it'd be, it, we'd be dumb to say like no backs worthy of taking inside day one or day two. And I think there's going to be like, I think Travis Etienne and Najee Harris are probably going to go in the first 40, 50 picks mm-hmm. based on how the NFL still currently evaluates the running back position. And I think of those two backs, who I think you can get the most out of and still see the most value is probably Travis Etienne. What he's done as a receiver and the explosiveness and the home run hitting ability mm-hmm. he does have. All right, going to Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore goes to the Chicago Bears, I think, at 20. He's the Ole Miss slot receiver that has been so productive this year. Only Devontae Smith has really outpaced him from a production standpoint. But looking beyond productivity, I, I mean, Elijah Moore, a destined to play in the slot in the next level. He's like, he's what, like five foot nine, hundred. 80, yeah, 90 he's pounds. 5'9", 185. And he's, like, we we talked about Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, who made a lot of that, him playing the slot last year. But he had, like, the physical skills of a guy who plays outside. Yeah. Like he's, I mean, he's, know, like, 6'2". Pro- yeah, he had yeah. the size. So like, that, whatever. It's like, Elijah Moore, like, is going to be a slot at the next level. Like, there's no, like, oh, maybe, I just don't think he's ever going to do that. So, I, drafting him that highly when, I mean, a lot of that production was him just sit, like, even more so than Justin Jefferson, was him just sitting wide open in the middle of defenses. I, I'd i be floored. I think he's a good prospect, but, man, first round is a tough sell for me. Yeah, a lot of that production was schemed. And I think the, the key difference in you know comparing Elijah Moore and Justin Jefferson, two slot receivers that produce really, really well at the collegiate level, I think is tools. I mean, like from a size and athleticism standpoint, I think Elijah Moore holds a candle to what Justin Jefferson can do on the inside and outside. And I think Elijah Moore can still be a productive slot receiver, but I think you can find similarly productive slot receivers later in the in, later in the draft. I think you can. I think the his Elijah Moore's production, if you use him similarly to how, how Ole Miss used him, mm-hmm. can be replicated by another wide receiver in this class. Especially because this wide receiver class, in addition to being top heavy, is also very deep. There is a handful of receivers that will go on day two that'll be exciting pieces for teams in the NFL. Last one here we'll bring up on Todd McShay's mock draft is Jalen Waddell going to Las Vegas Raiders at 17. Going Henry Ruggs and then that Waddell. That would be insane. That would be nuts. Al Davis might actually come back to life. Like that might be enough to get him. <laughs> well, I, the Al Davis eternal flame burns bright in, this, in the, the black, what do they call that? The Death Star in Las Vegas. So maybe, maybe it's, it's I mean, That would be the fastest, one of the fastest receiving cores of all time. It'd be, it'd be fun. But yeah, I would love to see it. But that—that's just—I don't know if that—that's uh, how you'd want to necessarily build a receiving core unless you're really just fucking heaving it downfield every play. Could could they make it work? You think they could? They've struggled to make so. Henry Ruggs work. I, I think you could. It would. You're not. That is not going to be a normal offense. You can't run normal drop back concepts. So in that offense, I don't think. Like you're, you're not going to run all the last slants with those two guys. 
But uh, I do think Jalen Waddle is more capable than Henry Ruggs in that regard, though, coming out. Man, that would be exciting stuff. All right, that's going to do it for the Todd McShay mock draft here. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll dive into our mailbag, answer your guys' questions here. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. First question comes from Nate underscore doggy underscore dog. And his question was, had De'Ara King not tore his ACL and declared for this year's draft, would many teams consider drafting him as a quarterback? Does going back to Miami next year boost his odds to get drafted? Mike, I'll let you start. But before I do so, now that we're doing the mailbag, I'm going to say it again. If you want your questions answered on the Thursday episode of Two for One Drafts, reply to the tweet on Twitter. You can even send Mike a DM if you'd like. Yeah, I responded to you. I'll take a DM too on IG or Twitter. The IG DMs are flooded with models. I'll have to sift through, but I'll find a way. On YouTube, you can do it in the comments on YouTube, or you could do it and leave a review on the podcast. If you leave a review on the podcast, I'll definitely answer your question. Other places, it's it's easy to miss. Those will be the first ones we answer. First ones we answer. I like that. I like that as well. All right, so let's answer this one, though. And De'Ara King, not towards ACL, what teams have considered drafting with his quarterback, and does going back help him get drafted? I think he would have gotten drafted. Okay. I'm not sure he would have gotten drafted after the ACL. But I think he would have gotten drafted healthy. Yep. I think teams, there's a lot more offenses in the NFL today that use their quarterback as a running threat. That's a lot. That's become a lot more commonplace. And when you have a guy who's a starter who's like that, you would also like your backup to be that way, so that you don't have to, you know, you know like Ch- like Trace McSorley in the Ravens. So you don't have to change what you're doing. You got an athletic guy who can run your whole scheme. So I do think he would have gotten drafted. I don't know though if coming back really helps the stock. Like his arm's not going to get any stronger. I don't think he's going to get like I don't think he's going to get any more accurate at this point. Like down the football field, I just think that kind of is who he is. Especially like with coaching, you get at collegiate level. I I, I don't think he's going to boost it. But I think coming back, proving you're healthy from an ACL injury, he'll get drafted next year. Then, so I, I do think after the injury, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Do you think De'Ara King should consider a position switch to the next level? Do you think NFL teams will view him maybe as a slot receiver in the NFL? Uh, I don't think you should, like, because I, th- I think, like I said, if you'll get drafted as a quarterback, quarterback value. If you're even can prove that you're a competent backup in those systems, you're getting five million dollars a year in your next contract. You can play for a lot longer than you could as a slot receiver. Chase like, Daniel, like make Chase Daniel money. Like Greg Ward's getting not a lot of money at wide receiver. Yeah, and that's kind of your ideal. Like that's him to actually be making roster playing wide receiver is. But if he doesn't get drafted and he's on practice squads and getting looks as an undrafted free agent next year, I do think you have means. to consider it to stick around, right? Yeah, at that point. Oh, yeah, by all means, yeah. Because um, I think what, what comes to mind is I remember doing the background stuff on De'Ara King for the draft guide. And the reason he went to Houston originally is because it was the only team that would offer him at quarterback. It was mm-hmm. the only team. Every other, every other team wanted to play him at slot receiver or a different position. 
And then obviously he's played at Miami and Houston since and hasn't looked great. Like I wouldn't forecast him as even a day two pick after this upcoming season. I don't know. I think it's something to consider when you are like as athletic and as freaky as he is and don't have the size, right? How tall is he? 5'9", 5'10"? Yeah. He's a little bit of a shorter guy. So it's interesting. I do think though, I wanted to, this is how I wanted to answer the question. Screw thinking about, you know, the NFL draft and how it's going to affect your future in that regard. Going back to Miami and playing football again for Derek King, who maybe doesn't have a long tenure in the NFL ahead of him, I think it's smart in terms of like getting the best out of your athletic career and playing more football in your career. Yeah. I think he could go back to Miami. Pl- and have playing, some fun. Being a starting quarterback at Miami is probably pretty fun. Exactly. That's, I mean, yeah. from a fun perspective, I think it was a great decision. Yeah. Um, it's like, I feel like the Cardinals would love to have him over Chris Trebler, right? You I know, mean, like, I don't know how Strebler made it into the NFL. I've, I've brought up that he had the worst touchdown to interception ratio in the Canadian Football League and was benched on their way to a Grey Cup and still is a backup in the NFL. That, I think, is surprising. He could be the backup for Cliff Kingsbury yeah. after this season. Who knows? Good backup to Kyler Murray. All right, next one comes from underscore drill underscore Clinton. Um, <laughs> is this year's safety class as valued with the injuries and play we saw? And is Ardarius Washington still a first-round talent? It was a down year. I had a high hopes for a safety class, but then you had Javon Holland from Oregon opt out. You had Andre Sisco, Terrace ACL. Paris Ford had, opt out. Who's, who? Paris Ford. Oh, yeah. Paris Ford opted out after six games. <laughs> Opted. AKA quit. Um, and then Ardarius Washington you saw some of the issues of his size pop up more on tape and you kind of got a little bit more hesitant that he's a slam dunk. Cause I thought he was heading into the season with some more missed tackles, speed concerns. I still love him. First round talent. He's not going to go in the first round. He's not, no one's going to, you draft a five, nine, 180 pound safety in the first round. And he doesn't turn out. You get laughed at. Like that's why, uh, Buda Baker didn't go in the first round. It's like you, you, you draft traits in the first round because if they don't work, like again, that's what scares get, me about yeah. the Devonte Smith conversation. Again, like that, like yeah, you but, draft a receiver that's 170 pounds, six foot one, one seventy five, one eighty, and he doesn't pan out like that at number three overall in Tom McShay's mock draft. I always called it the Mick draft, <laughs> Tom McShay's mock draft. That I think scares me. Again, it still scares you me a little bit it similar to draft. the safety position. And yeah. don't make the comparisons to Carl Joseph. Carl Joseph was like. What, 5'10", 215? Oh, he was a horse. He was a hoss. Small safety. And like Bob Sanders, too, was short, not small. Rodarius Washington, both short and small. Like he's similar to, to me, like the comp of the draft guys can be Tyron and Matthew because of the instincts that he plays with. But like his floor at the NFL level, I love him. I still think I would draft him probably towards the end of the first round if I really needed a safety because I think that's the type of player you're getting because at like worst I think you're getting like a Mike Hilton who is very similar Ooh, nice. size that's and a, a very good slot receiver because of that those and like Hilton at Ole Miss was had a lot of the similar sort of instinctual plays on his tape so I do think Ardarius Washington not can go in the first round someone's getting hell of a player on day two though I think we also didn't see a ton of the Florida State kid Hamza Nasruddin yeah who projects who right now on had an ACL came back and you barely saw him so mm-hmm. it, high hopes for the safety class be kind of just none of their 2020s went great besides maybe Trayvon Moore he's going to be safety one I think because of that all right let's jump to the next question here this one Same is guy. this is also from Drill Clinton underscore Drill underscore Clinton who go. is your favorite hashtag fun to watch player at every position? I love this hashtag fun to watch is fantastic. And we, this this is a great this is a great question for those who don't know. Maybe new listeners to two for one drafts. We hate on those 
draft evaluators or people who follow the draft that say nothing but this guy's fun to watch because it isn't a take. It's very soft. And football is fun, is to, fun watch. to watch. Yes, exactly. But who is our, well, your favorite fun to watch player at every position? I'll add some pieces here as well. Quarterback, you guys listened all year. You know. I Derek would just King. put him on. Okay. <laughs> I would just put him on my players to watch for the weekend just because he was playing. It's Trevor Lawrence, Clemson. Just the way he plays football is it's just electric. Um, running back, Javante Williams, North Carolina. I waffle between him and Travis Etienne. But Javante Williams, just like guys bounce off of him left and right at the college level. It's not going to happen as much at the NFL level, but I just think the the level of tackle-breaking ability that he has, how, and how kind of prototypical NFL size explosiveness numbers he's going to have at the combine. Like I, I, I feel pretty good about Javante Williams as a running back prospect. Wide receiver, this one was the toughest one. These are the guys that always get the fun-to-watch label, and there's two that are extremely fun to watch. Florida's Kadarius Toney, Purdue's Rondell Moore. I want Kadarius Toney because he has some broken tackles on his tape that I've I've never seen people do before in terms of how he broke the tackles. Kind of like like there are certain guys that just move away that no one else can. To me, that's Kadarius Toney. The play against, I think it was LSU, where he starts going into a spin move to break a tackle. It was on a running play. They handed it off to him. He's breaking one tackle and starts a spin move to break a second tackle while he's not even done breaking the first tackle. It was, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. So Kadarius Tony, the most fun to watch wide receiver. His teammates, the most fun to watch tight end, Cal Pitts. That one was the easiest one in this entire list. There's not another tight end in the country that comes close to him. Office tackle, Minnesota's Daniel Followay, 6'9", 400 pounds. Like, <laughs> watching him walk is fun. The guy is, watching a, different, walk is, is a different specimen altogether. Uh, interior offensive line, I went Landon Dickerson, Alabama. Dickerson not gonna win 69. Any. Dickerson 69. Uh, not going to win any athleticism contests. His combine might suck nuts, but he had 14 big-time blocks this year. He He's a mean person. He's mean, yes. And you love, In a good way. Love guys like that. Defense, defensive tackle, Tyler Shelvin, LSU. We didn't get to fun to watch him this year. But one, it's not like an exciting defensive tackle class. And two, just again, this guy's the same reason for Daniel Falale. Watch a 350-pound guy. Just bench press centers. It's kind of fun. Like yeah. at the end of the day, when the guys just don't move him ever, is fun. The dude's a, a two gapping machine. He is just immovable oh, yeah. force in the middle. Oh yeah, just if he can get his weight under control, like he's about as sure. Yeah, I've done. Gets. I did the background on him for the draft guy too, and it talks about how when he was being recruited, so much of it was like, dude, you gotta keep your weight down. Like we have to find ways to get you underweight. His mom it, had to keep him. On yeah, his diet. mom had to put him on a diet. Like. And I'm not making fun. I'm not, again, it sounds more condescending than I want it to be. Regardless. You're fat shaming him. It's cool. I'm not trying to fat shame anybody. You're an what I'm saying is it, it, it was a legitimate thing in his recruiting process and in his early years at LSU. It's like I mean, if it's this guy gets his weight down, he's a freaking world beater. Yeah. But he struggles with it and had to like give up a lot of foods and all this different stuff. It's it's going to be a similar situation in the NFL. This guy can get his weight down and play, be at a playable weight. Like he's yeah. a different player. He's got that Terrence Knighton capability. Ooh. Terrence Knighton towards the what end of his What was his nickname? What was his nickname like? Oh. It was like pot. Oh, it was like pot, 
Pot roast. Pot roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. God. That's great. I wonder. Tyler Shelton's got to come up with cool. Nicknames. I missed the uh, when Justin Ellis, the former Louisiana Tech defense tackle that was drafted by the Raiders, was with um, Dan Williams, who was a free agent signing for the Raiders from the Arizona Cardinals. They were meat and potatoes back in the day. Ooh, that was a great. That was a great nickname combination there. Wow. I really like that. I, I, I like. Great. I like bigger defensive tackles having food nicknames you know what we should do we should open up the uh mail well it's, it wouldn't really be like a question mailbag next week but whoever can come up with the best nickname for tyler Ooh, shelvin tyler shelvin if he goes to give him some uh cincinnati it's the five way the five way that's fantastic i hope he goes to cincinnati now all right linebacker or no edge i missed edge edge wyatt hubert kansas state because i'm very curious to see what this guy's arm length is at the combine because he's like six he's like six three six four he looks like ideal size but then he's probably gonna, is going to check in with like 31 inch arms oh no like this guy has he's this year's t-rex but he kind of like flails him and, it, and he gets the job done it looks almost like borderline comical but like he's a legitimate <laughs> prospect in his own right and not to hate on white Hubert, like i think he's actually good but man he did not get blessed with long arms for his size linebacker i thought you were going to say the duke kid there he's another oh guy chris from the watch fun. yeah chris he is fun but Went white humor with this one. Linebacker, Chaz Surratt, North Carolina, the roller coaster, the best blitzing off-ball linebacker. I, I mean, he comes downhill like he wants a concussion. Like he's like <laughs> attempting to rock Jesus. himself. That's how he does it. Like that's not – flip on the tape, boss. Tell me if I'm wrong. All right. Cornerback position here, Asante Samuel Jr., Florida State. Just because like you see him and you're like, oh, shit, like – yeah, that's Santa Santa Jr. Senior's kid. Uh, he also tackles. Quickness. He's very physical for his size. Yeah, I think he tackles really, really well, and he's not afraid of contact. And when you see that for a guy that lo- probably projects as a slot receiver at the next level at his size, I agree that he's fun to watch. Yeah, and then safety, Andre Cisco, the roller coaster, Syracuse. the true roller coaster, the the, the most up and down safety prospect I've ever seen in terms. Of- I thought that was going to be Paris Ford, but he was a little bit more down than up this year. Yeah, Cisco just has never seen a double move that he thought was a single move. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, that's that, that was a great answer. Very thoughtful for underscore drill underscore Clinton. Let's move now to at the Mark full chiefs are a sneaky, bad roster with needs almost everywhere. Entire offensive line, edge linebacker, corner wide receiver with Watkins leaving and even safety mm-hmm. in this class. What would be the best value at the end of round one? I think Bang for your buck, deep edge class, with a lot of athletes, kind of unproven, and you're they're going to go all be kind of off the board by like mid mid round two, I would guess. That's just kind of how edge talent works. The athletes go early, so I think edge would be a great place to address end of round one, and then wide receiver. Like we've been banging the table, another fantastic loaded wide receiver class. You can get like a immediate impact starter. That's where you can find a guy who will. If you're talking about next year, 2021, who can give you the most value? Wide receiver would be where I would say can. Um, but I, I, and then like the kind of positions after that where I think we'll be strong is safety. You kind of just touched on there will be talent there at the end of round one. That's kind of where it will start coming off the board. And as well as kind of interior offensive line, if that's where you're looking, you could probably get a quality guy there as well. Yeah, I think I've seen some mocks with Elijah Vera Tucker going at the back end of the first yes, round. I think that, that makes would a ton be. of sense. Yeah. I think for receiver, I mean, getting Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave, Kadarius Toney, any of those guys that could fall that far would be awesome. And then an edge defender, I mean, Quiddy Pay fell pretty far in Todd McShay's draft. If Quiddy Pay falls to that level, 
in the NFL draft, then is an obvious pick. But then also you have Jason Owe, the Penn State edge defender, Aziz Ojulari, maybe at the back end of the first yeah. round, depending on how he tests. He's been really, really productive this year. There's a there's a lot of guys. Brenton Cox Jr., too, the Florida edge defender. We I bet he doesn't declare because of his... Unfortunate, because he's had some of the most field. hashtag fun-to-watch tape at edge this year. Yeah. Like, he's actually been putting people in a blender. He has two, two of the best spin-move wins I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. And you, spin-move is good. You, we've talked about this before. Spin-move is a good indication of, like, oh, buddy, this guy has the juice. Mm-hmm. The juice to get loose. All right, moving forward here, we have at Fredericks JK. Thoughts on Desmond Ritter? Any chance he sneaks into the late first or early second round? I'll start. Yeah, I'll let you take this one. Desmond Ritter is a I think a really really good quarterback prospect I don't know if the NFL is going to see him as Jordan Palmer had compared him to in terms of there's a lot of similarities between Desmond Ritter and Jordan Love I don't think Ritter has the same arm talent that Jordan Love had I think it's good but it's not that caliber and I don't think it's a similar caliber to some of the best quarterback class quarterbacks in this class yeah Love could sling it 75 yards yeah he had Though Ritter has some really, really impressive big-time throws on tape, even dating back to his first year as a starter Mm. at Cincinnati. But this guy was had a hot seat for a reason. He still needs to work on his decision-making. I think his rushing floor is there. His athleticism is there. I think I know he's a good leader in that locker room. But I don't think, from a tools perspective, if you're going to swing the bat on a group of five quarterback that has had up-and-down games, like he hasn't absolutely lit the American Conference on fire like other small school quarterbacks have done for their respective programs i think there are too many concerns with his production and too many concerns with his tools to really feel like he's going to be this back end of the first round player yeah i'm with you on that and i also think his rushing ability will play a little better in college than it does in the nfl in terms of how he's built like he's a skinny dude yeah he's skinny he's not this isn't trey lance or justin fields where I feel confident about them actually still breaking tackles once you get to the NFL. Like that, they're well built. They're built like, you know, NFL tight ends. Desmond Ritter is built like a skinny wide receiver. I don't think that like he's yes, he's fast, but I I don't think he's necessarily going to be a dynamic sort of add on to your running game like some other guys in the NFL. From MMDDS eighty nine on Twitter, what realistically should happen for the Jaguars to take Lawrence at one? Not take Lawrence. and it's not. Absurd, or sorry, not take Lawrence at one, and it can't be absurdly stupid, which is unfortunate because I wanted to answer with an absurdly stupid answer. But if it can't be absurdly stupid, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Well, the next question here too, that was from YouTube, is very. You want to read that one? It's, yeah, yeah, I can read the, the next same one as well. What do you think about the Jags? This is from YouTube, from Matt on YouTube. What do you think about the Jags swapping the first overall pick for Deshaun Watson? Texans need cap relief and draft picks. Furthermore, they're wasting Watson's best years. Plus, he's too good to tank. My Jags would get a guaranteed thing with wide receivers and offensive line in their prime to match 12 picks, $80 million in cap space. Similar. That's a scenario that's not absurdly stupid. That could lead to Trevor Lawrence not taking, no, the Jags not taking Trevor Lawrence number one overall. It is absurdly stupid, Austin. I'm sorry. Damn because it. the biggest thing is that when you trade a guy, their signing bonus, future signing bonus, un. Unpro- the prorate signing bonus all comes due that year. So if you traded Deshaun Watson, the Texans would take on $51 million in additional cap Blah. this year. That's a lot. They can't do that unless they want to gut their entire roster and start over, which would then, be absolutely absurd. Maybe it is stupidly absurd. Yeah. And so that's why, and, and like 
and with the Trevor Lawrence thing, to go back to what's a realistic scenario, you can really only get other draft picks for Trevor Lawrence because the sort of the if like the biggest thing about getting a young quarterback like a Trevor Lawrence and like the biggest value of it is you get him on a rookie deal, the cross control for the first four years. You have four year window there that you can win a build, just spend recklessly kind of in free agency and build a Super Bowl winner around them. Uh, that doesn't so like the only other guys you would want to trade a Trevor Lawrence for would be like Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, someone like that. But if you trade Joe Burrow right now, twenty million dollar additional cap hit for the Cincinnati Bengals. That pro red signing bonus again for guys like Herbert, Burrow, yeah, Kyler Murray, all comes due, and it's not really feasible from a cap situation for those other teams to trade. So what I, about Dak Prescott? Dak Prescott, trade? but again, you're uh, from the. Jaguars' perspective, they would need a lot more than just Dak Prescott. Oh, 100%. So that there are some he would be in scenarios, and that's what we said, like if Trevor Lawrence had that take a while back. If Trevor Lawrence wants to force a trade, Cowboys are one of the few teams that could actually make it work. I don't think there's a realistic scenario if you are the Jaguars at this point that isn't absolutely absurd to trade out. And because, like, if you're, but it would it would be to the Jets or it would be to the Dolphins to then draft a quarterback in this class. It would be the only scenario it could be. But I just from a Jaguars perspective, you can't you can't do that to a fan base in terms of yeah every single year you're comparing Trevor Lawrence to the guy now that you have, and if Trevor Lawrence turns out to be good. You're the GM that passed on Trevor Lawrence. So I, I, mean, just, I think me, it's too no. big of a risk by yeah. the GM. It would be like an entire decision. the. The Jets would have to give you your entire draft for that number one overall pick. It's like when you start, when I'd start to think about it as a Jaguars GM. <laughs> All right, so that's the next two questions. Let's jump now to at Greek Freak thirty five. How did Tua in ten to fifteen? How did Tua I think do in the ten to fifteen immediate range, intermediate range, and what can he do to improve in that area? It wasn't great. He had a fifty three point six grade on throws. I did ten to nineteen yards downfield, not ten to fifteen. Cause ten to fifteen. A little small of a sample size there. Fair. But some of that is him just being young and still like not seeing underneath defenders the way he needs to at the NFL level. I think he had some like six turnover where he plays on those throws, and pretty much all of them were losing an underneath defender with his eyes and just throwing it like through hands of a linebacker or something like that. Um, a lot of it also is the offense it was in and that's why Jan Gailey got fired it was he didn't fire he resigned oh sorry it might have been a mutually parted ways type of thing um it was not a modern NFL offense they were not loved there was a lot of ISO concepts it was back and watch the tape of all those intermediate throws and kind of remind me of uh Aaron Rodgers when he was with the Packers Mike McCarthy and they're just relying on guys to win one-on-one on a lot of routes at that area of the field Dolphins don't really have those like that's why Todd McShay has me drafting Devontae Smith and one overall Devontae Park for as good as he is is not a pure separator he is a guy who is going to win at the catch point more often than not mm-hmm. and that's where he wins and on big plays win at a field. contested catch point so it is a lot of vertical a lot of ISO and, and they didn't have necessarily the personnel to be doing that so I think that contributed to his struggles as well if it does very turn, opposite to what he was running at Alabama too yes that as well so if it doesn't turn around next year feel free to be worried to me after having gone back and watched those, I'm not super duper. That's concerned. good. Some hope for Dolphins fans. Yeah. All right. This is from at PB. But I guess it depends on who they all hire as OC because. That's an interesting gig. Yeah. Hmm. They fired back to back OC. Or 
sorry, resigned, but two years, two three years now, they'll have three different OCs, excuse me, four years and four different OCs. It's going to kind of a concerning trend. At PBEK21, Pat Beck, is this extra year of eligibility changing any draft prep this year? Yeah, it's annoying as hell. It sucks. We're trying to build the draft guide right now. We want it yeah. to be 200 players, and the draft guide will come out on January 25th, and we want it to be 200 players. But with this, the, the deadline to declare for the draft is what, January 18th? Yes. It's, it's going to make final. things that much more difficult to fit in more of those guys before the 25th deadline we have to get it on the side. Yeah, because you can have a guy who started for four years of college, been extremely productive, and just say, I'm going to come back to school. We didn't bring this Ian up, Book but Desmond Ritter could come back to school. Yeah. Like a lot of these guys could come back to school. And so to prep a 200 guy draft guide, you'd have to do like 240. And that's just, so we're going to probably fall closer to 150. 150 early and then do a quick update in like a month or so. Yeah. Have to I think that makes sense. The NFL draft guide, by the way, you can get in your edge or elite annual subscription or monthly subscription. It is the best draft guide, biased take, but it is the best draft guide. It's going to have, you know, data and um, visualizations. We have route maps going in this year's draft guide for quarterbacks and wide receivers and tight ends, I think. It's going to be pretty nuts. But I will also answer this from perspective. I was talking to a guy, um, a director of player personnel for a team the other day, and he was saying, it's actually been, I actually get a lot more work done because I'm at home all the time. Oh, fair. And like, I'm not on the road. Like, it's not wasting a lot of my time. I've watched more of these guys than ever before. So, interesting. From a team perspective, they're Will able they to continue watch to tape. send scouts to watch games live after the season? <laughs> Has COVID found that error in the system? It'll be interesting. All right. Um, from Nico underscore D'Amato underscore, what position slash players do you think the Packers are looking for at the back end of the first round? Mm-hmm. Guys like Barmore, Bolton, Darian Kendrick, Trayvon Moreg all seem to have potential to make a huge difference. Well, they're definitely not targeting wide receiver. We know that. I think we can safely say that. But no, I, I think they could, if they want, if they want to kind of replace Marquez Valdez Scantling's role in that offense because he can't seem to because he's like fifty fifty when he gets twenty yards down the field in terms of if he's going to catch or not. Drops are largely noisy. We've brought that up before. They're volatile year over year. But, but. Marvis Marquez Valdez Scantling has really struggled dropping balls when open deep down the football field, winning these valuable routes and still coming up short. That has been a concern for MVS for sure. Kind of like the way he attacks the ball. He's not attacking it right. Like he's, he hasn't, he doesn't catch a deep pass outside of his frame. That ball is hitting him in the stomach every time. That's why. And we've Um, talked about that before too, which I think is an important conversation is with drops, people bring up in the scouting process, like focus drops versus like, Ball skills drops. Like yeah. focus drops are you attack the ball well, you approach the ball well, but just like lost focus and didn't catch the ball, didn't see it through. The ball skills concerns are the ones that we've brought up with Noah Fant in the past, bringing up now with yeah. Marcus Valdez Scantling. It's where you're not attacking the ball correctly, and those are leading to drops. That yeah. is more concerning. And we haven't run the analysis and PFF's charting of focus drops versus bad ball skills drops, mm-hmm. but I bet you bad ball skills drops, this is an assumption are a bit more stable than just the other drops we've seen. Bad ball skills drops also show up in other we need ways a better name for that those. don't end up getting called drops. You know, like you're downfield and you're one-on-one, uh, like you guy's on your hip, and like you just don't get to the ball because you weren't tracking it well enough. That's also it doesn't get called a drop, but it's like if that was, you know, Odo Beckham has struggled with drops the past years, but Odo Beckham's going to attack that ball the correct way. Like he's going to get that ball at the He gets point. his hands on more balls is yeah, what you're saying. exactly. So... 
Uh, That's but if they're looking drops. to fill that role, I think Kadarius Tony, Rondell Moore at the end of round one, who I would go with. I think they're game breakers, and there's a there's a, certainly a role for them in Matt Lafleur's offense this year with what they've run, and like their jet sweeps and a lot of the wide screens that they do. So I think those guys, if they're going for a more traditional true number two wide receiver, Chris Olave, Rashad Bateman, I think we're also be guys that they would be high on defensively. They kind of have a type along the defensive line. They like big athletes. Like, they like big, explosive dudes. To me, not a lot of defensive tackles fit that. Christian Barmore would be my favorite in that mix. I think Davion Nixon also has that that physical tool set. I think that's still a little early for him. A guy like Levi Anuzurike does, too. Also a little early for him. So, end of round one, I probably wouldn't put those guys in the mix. Edge class, Carlos Basham. Wake Forest fits that profile of what they like. I think they could be involved in this edge class because uh, they, they might be moving on from Preston Smith and his contract, and they use three edges there. I mean, Rashawn Gary is their third guy and has played over 600 snaps this year. It's almost it's pretty much a starter in that defense, so they might be looking to replace him. And again, they know better than a lot of teams, which they've drafted a ton of edge over the years. That edge talent does not last long. So Carlos Basham, I also put maybe Jalen Phillips from Miami into that mix, although injury is going to be a concern with him. Linebacker, Nick Bolton. I don't know if there will be in the linebacker sort of market, but I do think he's a good fit for what they do. And just like an every down, steady, between the tackles guy that will get you, like is a leader and will get you in the right defense. They need that in the middle of their defense. But I'm not sure with uh, kind of the emergence of Chris Barnes and the Minnesota linebacker whose name is now escaping me, I think they might not be looking at the linebacker position. Cornerback, I'd say J.C. Horn from South Carolina would fit, I think, what they look for. Now, they have, like, more man corners, but they've played zone this year a lot more than any other years. I think J.C. Horn's a, a man corner similar to, like, a similar kind of type of corner to a Jalen Alexander. I was going to say skill set, but they're not really similar skill set, but, like, types of corners and the way they play. And then safety, Trayvon Morig. It's like the the guy I could see there in terms of they they would need a kind of that dime safety as a guy they would need a guy who plays in the box like that's what they I think would be looking for if you are the Packers and that also would be Hamza not real Dean but probably not first round for Hamza probably more second. There's my breakdown. I like it. One of those guys. Damn. I mean they got I mean at the back end of the first round I feel like we talk about this every year in draft classes where you can find a ton of value at different positions you're not like pigeonholed into taking some of these guys I think of those that you've mentioned I think JC Horn adding cornerback there and how he's played at outside corner for South Carolina before opting out I think was impressive or Nick Bolton I mean from a fun to watch perspective Bolton to Green Bay would be I think my favorite of those as a Packers fan myself it obviously wide receiver would be my favorite of them but I don't think any other position offensively is really going to do you much good like they're pretty kind of set at a lot of other positions Nick Bolton would be my favorite pick if you could get any of those guys. You could start to draft. I I mean, what about offensive tackle at the back end of the first round? Elton. Elton's going to be the tackle of the future. Tackle of the future. All right. Well, that will do it for the mailbag episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. Also touched on Tom McShay's mock draft, obviously. But if you want to be on this podcast, if you want your name your name read and your question read on this podcast, make sure you rate and review the podcast and leave your question there. We'll answer it next week if you leave a question in the reviews on your podcast. You can also ask questions in the YouTube comments. Harder to pick them all up, but we'll try and find them. We'll try and bring them in. And then also, Mike, you'll be sending a tweet. We'll also get some from some of the main accounts yep. about the mailbag episode and try and get questions asked there until next time austin gale mike renner two for one drafts